This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Hi, my name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor of South Fellowship Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a faithful either viewer online or listener on our podcast. I am absolutely honored that week in and week out you would take the time to listen and to allow God to speak to you through his word and through what he's doing here at South Fellowship Church. We love offering this content to you completely free. And at the end of the year, just wanted to give you the chance to partner with us financially as we continue to hold out the hope of the gospel around the globe. If that's something you feel like God inviting you to do, there is a link on our website, www.southfellowship.org. And we would invite you to be a part of what God's doing here. God bless. Have a Merry Christmas and a really Happy New Year. Oh, they were awesome, weren't they? Yeah, give them a How fun, how fun. Uh, Father, we would ask as we come to the Holy Scriptures today that you would speak loudly, that you would break into, in the same way that you did the original, the first Christmas, where you broke into the world, would you break into ours today? Would you be born in us in a way that would bring freedom as we walk with you? It's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Anybody have one of these things going on in their house right now? <laughs> See, here's the thing. I used to think that this was a nice, cute art project that we allowed kids to do during Christmas time. And if you're not aware of one of what one of these are, we'll have counseling for you after the service that you just didn't have a complete childhood. But um, this is the Christmas chain, right? And um, every day you wake up and you rip one link of the chain off and you get closer and closer to Christmas. There's one for every day until you get up to Christmas morning. And like I said, I used to think this was a nice, cute art project that we let kids do. But really what this is, this represents sanity for parents, doesn't it? I mean, because here's the question you're hearing if you are a parent right now. How many days until Christmas? Right? And instead of having to do quick math in your head, you get to go, go check the chain. Right? Count the links. Check the chain. All right. We got four days until Christmas. Praise the Lord. This isn't a cute art project. This is sanity for every parent. You're welcome. Good luck. Let's close in prayer. Okay? Um, it's a sort of cute thing, a cute way to get ready for Christmas and a way to build anticipation as we see Christmas morning approaching. But not every chain is all that cute, is it? Um, one of the things that was noticed in this great Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, was this phrase, and chains shall he break. That he here is Jesus. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. What a day that will be. And even though he was born, this Christ child, this Messiah, 2,000 years ago, and he, he purchased freedom for humanity, you and I both know that this isn't fully realized yet, is it? 
So the poem was written in 1847, and in the mid-1800s, uh, a man by the name of John Sullivan Dwight got a hold of Placide Capo's poem. It was written in French, and he translated it into English. And one of the things that stood out to Dwight was this line, chain shall he break. You see, James Sullivan Dwight was an abolitionist. He was a freedom fighter in the North preceding the Civil War. And he read these lines, and they just exploded in his heart and in his soul. And he translated this hymn, this Christmas carol, into English primarily because of that line. And it started to blow up, not just in America, but worldwide, as humanity grasped this day, the dream of this day, chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother. What a day that will be. And we've come a long way here in the States, haven't we? I mean, we have, let, let's be clear, we have a long way to go. We have a long way to, but we've come a long way. Slavery doesn't look the same way that it, that it did back in the 1850s. It, it's starting to change. It's starting to develop. Praise the Lord. It doesn't look the same as it does here, as it did here, but make no mistake about it, this is still an issue worldwide. This is still an issue worldwide. You may or may not be aware that worldwide, right now, there are, the best estimate that we have, 27 million people enslaved. Now, there's two industries primarily that people who are in slavery find themselves in. One is forced labor. So they're, they're sold maybe by their parents or they're stolen by um, somebody and, and they're forced to work with either little pay or no pay at all. The other field, the other industry, if you will, that people, the majority of these people make up is sex slavery. So you'll have a, a family in a third world country who has no other way of making an income and if they have a, a daughter, usually they'll sell her into slavery. Can we, can we agree as a people of God that this is not okay? This is not okay. And that maybe God would continue to use this church in a new and fresh way to be a prophetic voice into this number 27 million, 27 million. Um, only one to 2% of those 27 million slaves worldwide today, one to 2% of the victims are ever rescued. And maybe the most heartbreaking statistic of all is that if you were to take the average age of these 27 million slaves worldwide, the average age, meaning there's some older and there's some younger. The average age is 12 years old. It's 12 years old. Chains shall he break. And if we don't get anything else from today, may we pray over 27 million, 1% and 12 years old and ask that God would start to move in a way that he has an unprecedented way throughout history to use this church as a prophetic voice into the wrong that this is. But see, here's the thing. You're not in those numbers. And it's easy to disassociate with that reality because we're not in the numbers. We don't see the faces. We don't know a lot of the stories that go along with it. But the truth of the matter is, friend, is that my guess is if I were to be able to climb into your head and into your heart, that although you're not one of the 27 million who's either in unforced labor or sex slavery, that there's some chains that are wrapped around your heart too. 
There's some things that you wish you could get loose from that are just holding you down. I know there's people that walk in every single week and we sing songs like, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. And we might as well just be saying, holding our, our chains above our head saying, we're singing it, but it's not true for us. We're singing it, but it's not true for us. There's these cycles in our head, in our heart, where we would go, yeah, we're not part of the 27 million. Our slavery just looks a little bit different, but it's no less true, but it's no less true. And you see the Christmas story, the story of this little baby born in a corner of a house 2,000 years ago, laid in a manger because there was no room for them to find solace in an inn or a hotel. This little baby doesn't just declare it's a time to give presents. This baby, this king declares it's the time to step into freedom. It's a time to step into freedom. See, Christmas isn't about giving or getting presents. It's about breaking chains. That's the story we celebrate. That's the story we step into is this already not yet reality. Chains, shall he? And hey, here's the deal. Look up at me for just a second. Has he broken? Has he broken? That's the story that we get to circle our hearts and our minds around this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. And we're gonna look at a famous teaching of Jesus. It's one of his first public teachings where Jesus the Messiah steps onto the scene and says, my birth isn't about giving presents, but my birth is about walking in freedom. Here's how he says it. Luke chapter four. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. So just a quick time out. Every Sabbath, the Jewish people would gather in synagogue. Their order of service would be, they would open with Shema. They would pray, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would move into a time of prayer. They would read from the Old Testament law. And then there would be a second reading from the prophets. So it's during the second reading that Jesus stands up and he says, um, I'll take the scroll. I'll take the scroll. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So just a quick time out. There's a lot of debate about whether or not this was the normal liturgy for the day, that Jesus is just going to read what's given to him, or that Jesus intentionally goes and finds this prophetic section of scripture in Isaiah chapter 61 that definitively points to the work of the Messiah. Now, I take the latter view to say Jesus found it. I think that's what Luke is saying when it says he found the place where it was written. If it was the, uh, um, the proportioned section of scripture, the, the chosen section of scripture, they would have handed it to him open. I think Jesus looks through and unrolls it and finds Isaiah chapter 61. And here's what he says or reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
for he has anointed me. Now, this is king-type language here. In the Old Testament, the anointing was for the coming Messiah. It was for the Christ. It was for the Savior. So he's reading. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at, what? Liberty. Those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, at that point, everybody in the Jewish synagogue would have known when they read this line, the year of the Lord's favor. There was two things going on. One, if you go back into Isaiah chapter 61, verse 2, what you're going to find is that there was a second thing added on to that line. Everybody in the audience would have known it. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Only Jesus doesn't read this part. Jesus doesn't read the day of vengeance. He closes a scroll, rolls it up, and sits down after he says it's the year of our Lord's favor. The second thing everybody would have known is that when Jesus read to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, it would have been a declaration of jubilee, of jubilee. So all throughout the Old Testament, there's a pointing to this day that happened once every 50 years where slaves would have been set free, where property would have been returned to the original owner, where the nation of Israel would have taken an entire year to sit and rest and watch their fields produce a bounty that they didn't work to get. Sound familiar? It sounds a little bit like gospel to me, right? That we, we receive without working, that we're, that we're blessed, that God's favor is on us regardless of what we've done, regardless of who we are, regardless of what our story says and the way that our lives have gone. It was called the year of Jubilee. It's really interesting. If you go to Leviticus chapter 25, you can read all about the year of Jubilee. Ironically, the nation of Israel, most scholars would agree, never celebrated the year of Jubilee. I mean, let's be honest, the people who own the land at the time have the power, and it's hard to give up power, isn't it? And Jesus steps onto the scene and says, no, 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 the day that you've refused to celebrate for hundreds of thousands of years is here. Ironically, the early Americans on the Liberty Bell inscribed the words, liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. As if to say, this is a place where the jubilee of God is walked in and where freedom is realized. He makes this claim, Jesus does. The year of jubilee is here. Now, um, on Tuesday, we had what I would consider a year of jubilee experience. Okay? Especially if, if you are a kid who was going to go to school right? You woke up that, now for parents, it may not have been a year of Jubilee, right? What? <laughs> okay, so um, 
You woke up Tuesday morning to about a foot of snow, checked your phone, and realized school's out. No school, snow day, let's do this. Here's what you experienced. The year of Jubilee, right? This is a freedom moment. You were going to wake up and go, oh no, it's due today. And what you recognized is, I don't have to go to school, praise God, right? This is the feeling of Jubilee. What Luke takes chapter, uh, Luke and Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, takes a picture of Jubilee. Freedom for the slaves, release of the captives, lands being returned to show what God is going to do. Don't catch this, or don't miss this. Please catch this. What God, <laughs> don't catch this. <laughs> what God is going to do spiritually and physically through the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. So he declares the year of the Lord's favor, verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This word fixed in the Greek, it would carry with it this idea of emotion and intensity. So he sits down and every eye right on Jesus going, well, and? Because there was a time of teaching that would have come after this. Not only that, but he left out the day of vengeance of our God, which is really what Israel was hoping for in the Roman Empire. He leaves it off. He goes, no, 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 this is a day of favor. This is a day of mercy. This is a day of grace. This is a day of blessing that God isn't angry. He's coming to redeem and save, not destroy and punish. And he sits down and he looks around and after what I imagine was a long, awkward pause, he began to say to them, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, this is the picture of this word fulfilled is if you take a cup and just pour the ocean into it, overflowing, has been fulfilled in your hearing Jesus out, mic drop, later. I mean, that's what he just sits back and says, I've, uh, I've fulfilled this. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I mean, can you imagine the angst of the people sitting in this synagogue waiting on this Messiah for 600 years and he finally comes and he shows up and he looks like a normal guy and he doesn't dethrone the Roman Empire and he doesn't purchase the political power and freedom that they were hoping and it sure looks like they're still in slaves and he says, I fulfilled this today, Jesus, out, mic drop, I'm gone. Here's the word I wrestle with most. Today. Today. Because here's what Jesus is saying to every single person sitting in that room and every single person sitting in this room. Is that it's not someday that Jesus comes to redeem. It's not someday that Jesus comes to offer freedom. As if to say you don't need to clean up your life in order to experience his freedom. 
And you don't need to solve all the problems that you have, and you don't need to resolve all the hurts that you have. In fact, it's just the opposite. The only way you can experience the freedom of God in your life is if you come today. Now here, you can read this tomorrow also. I mean, I'll give you that. You can read it tomorrow, and then it'll be today also. But here's it. You only receive the freedom of God in the present. And typically, it's before you ever clean up your life and start to quote-unquote work on things. See, a lot of us are waiting for a day somewhere off in the future where we resolve some of the things that have hurt us, resolve some of the wrongs that we've been a part of, we forgive some of the people that we need to forgive, and maybe then, maybe then, maybe we'll be able to walk in the freedom that he's purchased for us. And he goes, no, 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 that's not the way it works. The freedom that I purchase, the breaking of chains that I bring happens today, happens right now. You see, I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the great pastor and author, puts it when he says, the refusal or inability to fully experience the present to receive into our lives by faith what is handed to us by God in the present is a refusal to live freely. For the present is the only time in which freedom can be exercised or experienced. So here's the, here's the look up at me for a second. Look up at me for a second. I understand you walked in with some chains. I, I get that you have a past that's shady. And that it's uncomfortable to come to God and have to say, God, here's, I, here's who I am, and I admit this is what I've been a part of. And it's a lot more comfortable to say, all right, let's get a few of these things behind us first and then go have that conversation. Let's, let's heal a few of the hurts. Let's break a few of the chains on our own. And then, and then we'll come. His invitation is, listen, I only give freedom in the present you can only receive it right now, in this moment, to allow him to break in and to say, I love you and I'm for you. Chains shall I and have I broken. Will you by faith step into my favor and walk in my freedom? That's his question for you. Because Christmas is far more about breaking chains than it is about giving presents. And in this little sermonette, here's what Jesus says, that God's favor, the favor of the Lord, the jubilee of the Lord, the release of the Lord, the breaking of chains that only God brings, God's favor purchases your freedom, purchases my freedom, and it's available when? Now, today. Today. This is a Christmas story, friends. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. And I love seeing our culture celebrate this little baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago because what they're subversively declaring is he is the king and the king has set us free, whether they know it or not, whether they know it or not. That is the Christmas story. Listen to the declaration of the angels. Glory to God in the highest. They're giving weight and splendor and majesty back to the creator. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, what? Peace. This is like the idea of shalom, this wholeness and healing, this favor of God. On whom his, what? Favor rests. 
Well, the question has to be then, on whom does his favor rest? On whom does his favor rest? Well, you don't have to go back all that far into the Gospel of Luke to read the declaration to the shepherds from the angels. And the, shepherd, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. On whom does his favor rest? Well, on all people. And the people who receive his favor and walk in his freedom are those who by faith come to him and say, only you can break these chains. See, here's the problem with freedom. Here's the problem with freedom. We're used to fighting for our freedom, aren't we? We're used to saying we've got to take our freedom. And we carry that over into our walk with Jesus, into our spiritual lives, where we go, listen, I've got to, I've got to solve this problem on my own. I can't count on anybody else. I've got, to, I've got to work harder on being an impatient person. I'd love to meet somebody that worked for. I've got to work harder on being humble. Good luck. Good luck. I've got to work harder on getting rid of my anger and bitterness, and I've got, I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. And in gospel economy, what God says is, you've got to receive, not work. You've got to position your life to receive from the King of kings and Lord of lords who says, my favor is on you. And you've got to hear his voice saying, I love you and I'm for you and I'm with you and I'm in this. You see, the only way you walk in freedom is if you invite Jesus into your pain. It's the only way. That's so why we have such a hard time with, with freedom, with walking in favor, is we want to work on it on our own. And what the gospel declares and what the Christmas message is, is you couldn't do it on your own. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. Right? Right? Right. Yeah, so the Christmas story is you needed somebody to come in. You couldn't break the chains on your own. He had to step in. And with his very body broken and blood shed said, you have freedom. I'm declaring it over you. I fulfilled this today. It's available for you. See, a lot of us are way more comfortable with the gospel being a, some good advice, a good plan, that in Christmas Jesus comes and Makes a good plan, and hey, if you follow it, you're going to be sad. Friends, the gospel is not good advice. It's a good announcement. Favor is on you, is over you right now, today. You're invited to walk in it. Praise God. A number of years ago, I read, I read a story that just stuck with me. It was a story of a man named Wilfredo Garza. And Wilfredo Garza was born in Mexico, and he spent the first 35 years of his life going from one side of the border to the other. He worked a number of years in Texas as an undocumented worker, and he would get sent back to Mexico, where he'd then try to get back across the border. And it was when he was 35 years old, he crossed the border, and in this moment decided, I'm going to risk everything, and I'm going to go meet with an immigration lawyer to see how to actually live here as a free person. He went in and he sat down with this lawyer and the lawyer typed in his name and the lawyer typed in his mom's name and his dad's name. And this information about Wilfredo Garza popped up. See, he'd been told his whole life that he was born in Mexico. 
but he was actually born in Texas. He was, a, he was a citizen of the United States, and he was living as though he was an undocumented worker there illegally. What a moment. See, I think a lot of us, we walk in here and we go, my chains are gone. I've been set free. See, we walk in with this same idea where I'm here, but if anybody knew my story and if anybody knew my pain and if anybody knew my hurt, they would kick me out in a second because the favor of God is for somebody, but it's definitely not for me. And until we understand that his blessing rests on us, we'll never walk in the freedom he purchased for us. So much of this takes place in your head and in your heart. And today, Jesus is declaring over you the Christmas story isn't so much about the giving of presents as it is about the breaking of chains. It's for you. There's no footnote after all that says, except you. And honor of peace to those on whom his favor rests. Footnote, except Paulson. It's not, I've looked. Every translation I've looked, there's no footnote. It's for you. It's for you, not someday. It's for you today. Today. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. So I pray that we would be people who take good news seriously. So flip back to me, Isaiah chapter 61. This passage that Jesus reads from, I want to spend the rest of our few minutes together unpacking the way that Jesus breaks chains and the chains that Jesus breaks. Isaiah 61, listen to verses one and two again with me. They're the verses that Jesus quotes. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And just a quick time out here. The poor were people who uh, lacked resources, they lacked money, but they were also people in the scriptures who had this disposition towards God of saying, we don't bring anything in and of ourselves to you that would be valuable and able to save ourselves. We know we need you. The poor was a declaration back to God hey, we, we find ourselves in your story and we have sinned and we've fractured relationship with you and we need you to step in. So, hey, here's just, the, all of us are poor here today. Welcome to the party. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Does that resonate with anyone here today? This is, God, this is Jesus stepping on the scene and saying, I'm fulfilling this. If you'll invite me into your pain, I'll break your chains. To bind up, to care for the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance on our God. Only we already discussed he didn't say that part to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news for the poor, hope for the brokenhearted, because in Jesus, in the Messiah, we find he takes on all of our sin and all of our shame, that by his wounds, we are what? Healed. By his wounds, we are healed. To grant to those who mourn, verse two in Zion. Oh, I just, I love this. To grant to those, oh, the day of the vengeance, um, of our God and praise instead of a faint spirit or instead of heaviness. See, this release language is 
said to captives. It's said to people who, depending on how you date the book of Isaiah, either are in exile or are going into exile. And what God declares over them are the things that you've lost and the way that you've been confined. I'm going to break in and I am going to set you free. Here's Jesus' declaration. The first chain that breaks... The first chain, he says, does not confine you anymore because I've appeared on the scene, my person and work. I fulfilled what Isaiah promised was gonna be true of the Messiah, that he replaces your captivity with release. He speaks into the places in your life where you're going, God, I'm just, I can't get beyond this. I can't get beyond this. This sin that so easily entangles has got me. And you know what he speaks into that? He speaks into that, the reality that you are no longer a slave to sin. Listen to the way that Romans chapter six says it, verse six. We know that our old body was crucified with him. That's with Jesus. That we were in Christ crucified with him, that the body of sin might be brought to how much? Nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friend, he set you free. And what I know about you and what I know about me is we will never walk in it until we believe it. So much of the battle takes place in our head where we go, listen, I'm just, there's no way I could ever get beyond that. I have my past and I have my guilt and I've done, you have no idea, Paulson, who I am and you have no idea what I've done and I wanna say as clearly as I can, I have absolutely no clue who you are, what you've done and the past that you have. I only know the Jesus who declares there's freedom if you'll follow me. That's what I know. That's what I stand on. I love the way that the great hymn writer Horatio Spafford put it when he said, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So Jesus comes as the great chain breaker, as one who says, the things that hold you captive, I'm speaking freedom into in a spiritual way and in a physical way. You see the gospel declared through the life of Jesus. You don't have to go down too far in Luke chapter four to see he drives out demons, Jesus does, that he heals the sick and the afflicted, and all of it is to declare your life has favor over it because of the work of Christ, because of the work of Christ. You are, friend, I am no longer a slave to sin. And you're no longer a slave to fear, as the great passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says. You did not receive a spirit of what? Slavery. To fall back into what? Fear. So, that, so hey, if that's where you're living this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. Because he says, that's not the spirit I give. I break chains by the favor that I declare over your life. But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons. Oh, come on, church, say amen, that's good news. Adoption as sons and daughters of the most high God, yes. The problem is we have a hard time learning to live in our freedom. We have a hard time embracing it. One of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. And in the movie The Shawshank Redemption, there's this character whose name is Brooks. 
And Brooks has been incarcerated for decades. And he's coming up on a time of parole. And instead of being excited for this, he's terrified of it because he has no idea how to live on the outside anymore. And instead of embracing it, he attacks a fellow prisoner so that he can stay in prison because that's the world he knows. And that's the life he's used to. And even once he gets out, he wrestles with how to live as a free person because it's way more comfortable and he knows way more about life inside than he does about outside. And at, fun, at one point, he takes his own life because he doesn't know how to live as a free person. I think a lot of followers of Jesus, they keep going back, they keep going back, and they keep going back even when the chains are broken because we have no clue how to live under grace and mercy that declares you're free. Maybe today, maybe today, your simple prayer is, God, teach me how to walk in the freedom that you've already purchased. Here's the way the prophet continues in Isaiah chapter 61. He says, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, he's gonna bring comfort to those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So they would put ashes on their face as a way to mourn a loss, typically. These are people who've lost a loved one, they've lost a friend, and as a way to symbolically display this stinks, they would cover their face in ashes. And what Isaiah speaks into this prophetically is a day's coming when God himself is going to speak into our pain and into our brokenness. He's going to, instead of ashes, there will be a beautiful headdress and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or instead of a spirit of heaviness. Anybody have that this morning? He goes, hey, I want to speak into that. I want to speak into that that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And they shall build up ancient ruins, so cities that were laid desolate and had nobody living in them. It's this word picture of God bringing about restoration, God bringing about transformation, God speaking into death and raising new life. This is resurrection imagery in Isaiah chapter 61. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair ancient ruins, the devastation of many generations. So here's what Jesus wants to say. One of the chains that often confines us is this way of thinking, the way it is today is the way it will always be. It's called fatalism. We just assume that life is going to be terrible and that life is going to continue to be riddled with and fraught with pain and heartache and hurt. And what Isaiah speaks into the people of God is that a day is coming when your ashes are going to be turned to a beautiful headdress, when your mourning is going to be met with comforting and when the leaves that fell off of your tree, you'll start to come back to life and you'll be an oak of righteousness. He speaks into our fatalism with this reversal, with this renewal. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end. Whatever you're going through today where you go, the darkness is so dark I can't see my hand in front of my face. The declaration of Isaiah 61 over your life is God's not done. The story's not over. 
Transformation is possible. Resurrection is on the way. But in order for resurrection to happen, death has to precede it. Right? That's the Christmas story. Jesus speaking into our world, entering into our world and saying, listen, it's not always gonna be the way that you thought it was gonna be. It's not always gonna be pain. It's not always gonna be sorrow. It's not always gonna be heartache. There's a new, there's a dawning of a new day on the horizon. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 20. I love this passage because it paints for us this picture of God's reversal. This God who says, I'm able to do far more abundantly than all you could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine as you walk with me. He says, speaking about the story of Joseph, he said, and, and this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. They sold him into slavery. We could agree that's evil, yes? Okay, great. So we're, we're tracking, good. But God meant it. God meant it. God worked from inside of evil to bring about good that many people would be kept alive as they are today. This is God working reversal in the midst of what felt like fatalism. We're, it's the way it's always going to be. You know how long this took? About 70 years. And that's the problem we have about the way God works, isn't it? That his time frame is often a lot longer than ours. And he says things and we go, I know it's a promise, God, and I know you're working it, but it just feels like you're taking your sweet time. So we start to believe, well, the marriage is, is just always gonna be the way that the marriage is. There's nothing that can change that. And he goes, I'll step into your pain. The job situation is just always gonna be the way that it is. There's nothing that's gonna change that. He goes, listen, I'll take ancient ruins and build glorious cities if you'll give them to me. That the pain is always gonna be so dark that I don't feel like I can get out of it. And what he says over your life today, if you'll receive it, is I turn ashes into beauty. Come to me, come to me. See, Christmas isn't about giving presents. It's about walking in freedom. It's about walking in freedom. And he says, and strangers shall stand in they shall tend your flocks. This is, not only are they not in exile anymore, but they've come back and now people are working for them. This is the great reversal. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, and you shall be called priests of the Lord and they shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Verse seven, and in your what? shame, there shall be a double portion. This is a, a speaking of blessing over the people of God, not just a little blessing, but Isaiah's double portion, it means just a tidal wave of grace. There shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, they shall possess a double portion. He wants you to get that. And they shall have an everlasting joy. See the, the next chain that he breaks? The chain he wants to speak into every single life in this room today is this chain that we often carry around of shame, of shame. And it creeps up on us subtly. This is what, at least in my life, it creeps up on me subtly. It's harder to identify. See, guilt is I feel bad about what I've done. Shame is I feel bad about who I am. And when I carry that, 
when I carry that, I'm unable to carry joy. Because he says, listen, I'm going to replace shame with joy. I'm not adding to it. I'm not just going to speak joy into your shame. I'm going to take away your shame and give you joy. You know why? Because you can't hold on to shame and joy at the same time. You're going to hold one or the other. One or the other is going to define your life. So the beauty of the Christmas story, the beauty of what Jesus does, the beauty of the favor of God that purchases our freedom is that rejoicing displaces shame. Rejoicing displaces shame. Hey, listen, friend, come on. Sin not only, grace not only covers your sin, it also redeems your shame. It not only covers your sin, it does that, but it also redeems your shame. It speaks into the very core of who you are, gospel, that Jesus is for you, that he loves you, that he's come through your rescue, that he values your life. And so you don't need to walk in shame anymore. And because you don't need to walk in shame, you can walk in joy. And some of you, that's what God wants to do in your life. I just, I just get this feeling today that he wants to speak joy into your life, but you've got to first let go of your shame. And we can't let go of our shame in ignorance. We can't, we can't just hope it goes away. We have to stare our shame in the face admit who we've been, admit where we've been, admit what we've done and what we believe about ourselves, and then just as honestly, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come to my rescue, has redeemed me with his very life. He speaks into my shame and allows me to walk in joy. It's not running away from it. It's staring at it and preaching the gospel over your life. I love the way that the great author, researcher, Brene Brown puts it when, he, when she says, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. The fear that we're not good enough. You know what the gospel says? You aren't. That's why he came. That's why he came. And because you are, and because he came, he speaks into you worth and value and joy where you go, I don't have to define myself. That's the chain we often carry. I've got to achieve. I've got to make a way. I've got to make a name. And in the Christmas story, we find we couldn't do it on our own. And God came to our rescue. And he declares, by my blood, by my grace, by my mercy that cover your life, you are good enough, redeemed, holy, made right, made righteous in the King of kings and the Lord of lords and by his blood. Merry Christmas. This Christmas story is filled with joy. The angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. See, you can hold on to fear. You can hold on to joy. You can't hold on to both. You can hold on to shame or you can hold on to joy, but you can't hold on to both. The invitation this year is a savior has been born. Hold on to joy. His favors on your life. Not tomorrow, today. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. This is the last chain he breaks. Oh, sorry. Chain broken, shame gone. Amen. I'm not holding on to that one. You can, but I'm not. 
My soul will exalt in the Lord, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. That's you, friend. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. Not someday, but today. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. Come on, God, do that. Please do that in our midst. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. Here's the final chain he breaks, the Messiah breaks in coming redeeming, declaring favor over us is our righteousness now supersedes our wretchedness. Done deal. He's clothed you. He's made a way where you couldn't make one on your own, clothed with garments of salvation, covered in the robe of righteousness. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is a Christmas story, friends, that Jesus enters in, enters into our story and enters into our pain. And from the inside out, he sheds his light and his favor over your life. See, you can, you can hold on to captivity. You can hold on to fatalism. You can hold on to shame. And you can hold on to your wretchedness. And you can give God a number of reasons on top of this why you don't deserve his favor. And I'll just say back to you, I've got a hundred more than you. But the Christmas story isn't about whether you've earned his favor or not. The Christmas story is whether or not he's given it to you. And what we celebrate this time of year is that the God of the universe entered into our story, entered into your story and mine to declare favor and blessing over our lives and in doing so by faith, allowing us to walk in freedom. And that freedom is here and available today, right now. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not going to skip verses 8 and 9 because they're this beautiful invitation and we're going to land the plane here. It says, for, the, for I, the Lord, this is God speaking, I love what? Justice. I'm a God who loves rightness. I, I love equity. I love when people aren't taken advantage of. I love when people aren't abused. I love when there's zero slaves instead of 27 million. Your God loves that. I hate robbery and wrong, he says. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring of the, that the Lord has blessed. See, here's what Isaiah is saying, that righteousness is not just a declaration over your life, that it's a calling on your life. It's a calling on your life. We don't just receive righteousness. We're people who give it, who give it. So we'll say it like this. Here's what Isaiah is painting a picture of. Of release, of reversal, of rejoicing, of righteousness that frees us to be people who then speak freedom into the lives of other people. Because freed people, free people. That's the way this works. Freed people, free people. 
people. In my study this week, I, I was reminded of the beautiful life of Harriet Tubman. She was born in 1822, was born into a life of slavery, but in this really masterful way, she escaped that life of slavery. She became um, a freedom fighter. She was a soldier in the Union Army and worked for a slave, and you probably know her name because she helped both develop and run the Underground, uh, underground Railroad. She went on 13 different missions in the Underground Railroad, most of whom were directed towards her own family and her friends, but thousands and thousands of people found their freedom because this lady was willing to stand up and say, free people, free people, free people, free people. Towards the end of her life, when she was interviewed, she said something that really stuck with me. Here's what she said. I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. And I think maybe the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saying to you and me today, unless we're honest about the chains that shackle us, we'll never walk in the freedom that's been purchased for us. And so maybe today we ask the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to step in and once again say, it's been fulfilled. Today, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. Come, walk under my favor and receive my freedom. Let's pray. I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning. But in the craziness of this time of year, I just want to invite you to pause. Maybe there's something that you're holding on to in your head, in your heart, that's just got its claws in you and it's causing you to walk in slavery that Jesus wants to set you free from. Maybe it's this declaration for the first time, God, by faith, I'm stepping into a relationship and life with you. I want your favor that would lead to my freedom. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's just the slavery to sin that you're saying, God, I am just caught in this mess and I can't, on my own, I can't break the cycle. And what Jesus would say back to you, I believe, is I don't heal from a distance, I heal from within. Invite me into your pain and I'll break your chains. And maybe you're just caught in this lie. This is just the way it's always gonna be. And I've just gotta get used to it. Jesus loves to resurrect dead things. The end of the story isn't the end of the story. Maybe today you're, you carried shame in this door. And I wanna tell you, you can carry joy out. He is not holding your sins against you. He speaks grace over you. You live under a waterfall of it every single day. Wake up and receive. Quit fighting for what's been being given to you freely. Maybe you wrestle with your past going, God, I just, there's no way you can love somebody like me. 
And he says, somebody like you, somebody like you who wears the garments of salvation, somebody like you who I've clothed in my righteousness, that's someone like you because I've taken your sin and I've given you my righteousness. Absolutely, I can love someone like you because Jesus has purchased your redemption. Walk in his freedom. So Lord, we come to you asking, would you help us in a supernatural, mysterious, beautiful, and real way walk under the weight of the gospel? That by your favor, you've purchased our freedom. So Lord, we surrender. We surrender to that freedom today, not to fight for it, but to walk in it that you've freely given. That's ah, in Jesus' name. We say thank you. We praise you for this season that isn't about presence, it's about freedom. We praise you for that, King of kings and Lord of lords. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.